Welcome to episode 39 of the Highland Bridge Builders Podcast. Our normal host, Kai Fagala, is out of town this week, so you've got me, David Flat, doing the introduction and conclusion. Grant Dasher is going to lead our class today, and we're going to continue our study of Romans. We'll be in Romans 9 through 11. These are the, some of the most mysterious, fascinating, and beautiful chapters of the whole Bible, so I can't wait to hear what Grant has to say about them and how we can apply them. Thanks so much for listening. Again, if you're ever in the Memphis area, we meet every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at Highland Church of Christ, and we'd love for you to come join us. You can also contact us on Facebook, and we'd love to, to connect. Thanks so much, and I hope that you enjoy this class on Romans 9-11, through taught by Grant Dasher. Okay, so there are two ways to come to a knowledge of truth. You can either read the Bible or you can read your kombucha label. You can do that. This says, you already know what it is you desire. Next, you must focus on allowing yourself to receive. That's Erica from Asheville. So, does anyone drink kombucha? Jessica drinks kombucha. You drink kombucha? It's, it's good. I'm a little ashamed. I'm a little ashamed. To, to, doctor's order, that's right. I have a, I have a bad gut. So... It's for, your, it's for your gut health. Um, okay, I'm seeing all your text messages, David. All right, so um, it was the summer of 2014, right, Jessica? It was the summer of 2014. My son, Cohen, was almost two months old, beautiful, new little baby boy, and I headed off into the Canadian wilderness on a week-long canoe adventure. 10 days. It, but I, was in the, I was in the wilderness for seven days, but I was gone for 10 days. That is true. That is true. I, I uh, did not, did not uh, let you know the full extent of that. <laughs> there was no, no cell phone service. There were no roads or cabins. There was no civilization, no paramedics. And I know what you're thinking. You went to Canada with a two-month-old, right? Ladies, hold your judgment. You're wrong. We also had a three-year-old, all right? So I say all that to say that Romans 9, 10, and 11 are the Canadian wilderness of Scripture. They're beautiful and, as David mentioned, maybe a little bit treacherous. At one point in the trip, I am carrying a canoe and all my gear on my back for literally half a mile. That's not an exaggeration. There was a, there was a portage that was half a mile. And then the last 300 yards of the trail are just solid, it's just solid mud. And the mud keeps getting deeper and deeper until it's above my knees. And there I am just dragging a canoe through this mud in the middle of nowhere. Mosquitoes are swarming around. I had a, I had a uh, mosquito net over my face, but if I would ever pull it up, I would like breathe the mosquitoes in. They were so thick. I'm drenched in sweat. I haven't changed my underwear in three days, all right? These are ex officio underwear. They're really nice. They say you can do that. Um, I don't try that when I'm in the States. Uh, but I'm thinking, why did I do this in that moment? <laughs> like, why did, I, why did I come on this trip? And, which is how I felt preparing for this lesson. Even last night, I'm like, oh my goodness, why did I agree to do this? <laughs> this is a horrible idea. And then we get to the end of this muddy trail and there's this beautiful lake with nobody on it except us. And we're catching fish, we're drinking water directly from the lake, which you can do in Canada. And we didn't get sick. There are bald eagles like flying above us. And I'm just filled with this incredible sense of peace. It's just amazing. 
So these three chapters of Romans have been, they've been debated, they've been argued, they've been the source of a lot of division, which David mentioned. And because of that, churches have split, entire denominations have arisen as a result. But even though there's a lot of confusion surrounding these chapters, I also believe that there is beauty to be seen and peace to be gained at the end of them. So I'm not an expert on Romans. Uh, I have taken a three-hour course on Romans, and I've read Romans, and I'm a tooth doctor. Those are my credentials. That's all I've got. Um, but I am going to teach this material in a way that, uh, as, best as, as best I understand it, and in a way that I believe is consistent with the tradition at Highland. So, all right, before we get knee-deep in the mud, um, and y'all can turn over to Romans 9. I, I'd love for you to just kind of follow along because we're going we're gonna to spend the bulk of our time in Romans 9. But before we get knee-deep in the mud, let's just remember the context in which Romans is being written. Kyle talked about this, and David, you may have spoken about this as well some. But the Jews have been ex- expelled from Rome and were now under a new emperor being allowed back into Rome. So the complexion of the church is, is changing. And you had t- two very different groups. You had one group, the Jews, who probably still held on a little bit to this idea that they were somehow right with God because they followed the law. So they kept the law and that made them good with God. And then on the other hand, you had this group of former heathen Gentiles that probably looked at the law and thought, man, that is a burden. Like, I don't want to follow that law. It's, it's cumbersome. And so you see in Romans 6 that Paul kind of addresses this idea of cheap grace, that you're saved by grace, and so you don't have to follow the law. So the point is, these are two very different groups that Paul is hoping to somehow bring together. Um, he's hoping to somehow unify them. So we get to chapter 9, and listen to what he says. He says, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing ceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. There's the adoption to sonship. There's the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. See, Paul, he is so smart. I saw, uh, was it N.T. Wright that was talking about, he, he, he was saying that Paul is like one of the greatest minds of all time. Did you see that recently? He was talking about that, like saying that he should be held right up there with Plato and Aristotle. Paul is so smart. Before he says what he wants to say, he implies it. And what is he implying? Did y'all catch that? Anybody catch that there? What's he implying when he opens this, this chapter up? What's he implying when he says that I wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people? That they're lost, right? That the Jews are lost. And this would have been shocking at the time, which is probably why he doesn't like lead with that, but he implies it first. 
This would have been shocking to the Jews at the time. And here's how I know it would have been shocking. Because when people say things that everyone basically already knows, they say them and then what do they do? They just kind of like move on, right? Yeah, everybody knows that. We move on. But when you say something shocking, you usually follow up with, hold on, hold on. Let me explain. And that's what Paul does for the next three chapters. He explains what he's implying here at the beginning of chapter 9, which is that Jews outside of Christ are lost. And the reason that would have been shocking to the Jews at the time is because they would have immediately thought that Paul was implying that God doesn't keep his promises. That's huge. When you read this, you've got to think like the Jews at the time would have been thinking. They're thinking that Paul's implying God doesn't keep his promises. So have y'all ever been at the grocery store when someone is trying to use the wrong coupon? Anyone? It's so frustrating because you're waiting and like there, like this debate ensues, right? And you're like still waiting. Just got to wait for 25 minutes because the lady, what was she, what happened? She didn't have enough, she didn't have enough money. Cash, so she was deciding which I Okay, 25 minutes, she had to wait. You could have just given her some money, but you didn't do that. That's okay. All right, we'll, we'll pray for you, Jessica. Um, so someone's trying to use the wrong coupon, and they are certain that it is the right coupon. I mean, they waited all week for that Sunday paper. They sharpened their scissors. They didn't tear the coupon out, but they very carefully and they, they ritualistically cut it out. And then in a very pious manner, they lay their coupon upon the altar of the conveyor belt of the cashier's register, right? only to be told, we don't accept this coupon. Does anybody ever, that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but have you ever seen something similar to that? Right? People, how do people respond? Oh, no big deal. How do they usually respond? I've seen some people get really angry. People get angry. I mean, they budgeted for the use of this coupon. Kroger promised they would accept this coupon, and now they get to the store and they don't have enough money, and they can't eat and they end up starving to death, right? That's, that's just to keep the metaphor going, right? So imagine budgeting your entire life on this promise that because you're Jewish, you are automatically destined for eternity because God promised. He promised that I was going to go to heaven because I'm a Jew. And then Paul steps in and implies that there are a lot of Jews that will not spend eternity in heaven. Imagine the shock and even the anger that the Jews in Rome would have felt in reading this. They would have immediately believed that Paul was accusing God of failing to keep his promises. And here's how we know that. In verse 6, if you've got, you got your Bible, verse 6, Paul says, It is not, he's, like, he's almost like, I know what you're thinking, but it's not as though God's word had failed. For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. That, is a, that sounds uh, paradoxical, but it's not. Just focus in on that line. For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it is not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. So in essence, Paul is saying, you read the coupon wrong, right? You read the coupon wrong. Yes, 
God made a promise to Abraham, and you are physical descendants of Abraham. You came directly from Abraham, and, and y'all can all trace your lineage all the way back to Abraham. And God made a promise to, to Israel, and you are physical descendants of Israel. But not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. He's saying that God's going to keep his promise in spite of what your DNA says. And to prove it, Paul goes right back to the beginning of the promise to Abraham, Abraham's first son. Do you remember what his name was? Does anybody remember Abraham's first, first son's name? Ishmael. Ishmael, yeah. Ishmael doesn't inherit the promise, even though as the firstborn, he should have, right? Like, he should have. He was the firstborn. Abraham's second son, Isaac, inherits the promise. So from the beginning, we see that physical lineage doesn't matter. What matters? It's God's promise. Whatever God says he's going to do, that's what matters, not physical lineage. God chose Abraham, and he chose Isaac. And then, right after that, Paul says that it's the same with Jacob and Esau. We remember the story of Jacob and Esau. The birthright was Esau's because he came out first, right? He was the oldest, even if it was just by a few minutes. He's who Isaac wanted to inherit the blessing. He was the one, the hairy, burly man who Isaac loved. But he's not who God chose to inherit the blessing. God didn't choose the oldest. He chose Jacob. So Paul goes on to say, Rebekah's children were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac, yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose and election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. So this, this part of Scripture is where the debate heats up. So the Reformed Calvinist would say that this is evidence that God in His sovereignty chooses beforehand to elect some individuals to salvation and to, to damn others to hell. And that, that you have, it is not dependent upon anything you do, even it is not dependent upon your faith. Even your faith is given to you. That is the truest sense of, of Calvinism. So when I read this, and this is not just my opinion, but also when I read more scholarly people than, than myself, I believe that Paul is referring here not to individuals, but to nations. So the reason, when, when he's talking about Jacob and Esau, and the reason I believe that is because that's the original context that Paul is quoting. So if you go back to Malachi, where, where, where Paul's quoting this from, God is talking about his love for the nation of Israel and his hatred for the Edomites. Do y'all remember the Edomites? Does anybody remember them? They were totally destroyed. So God uses Jacob's name to refer to an entire nation, and he does the same with Esau. So there's no evidence that God actually hated Esau, the individual, or that Esau served Jacob, the individual. In fact, there's a lot more evidence to the contrary. Esau's life was, was blessed. He had a lot of stuff. God blessed him. He had a lot of land. And truthfully, Jacob served Esau. Jacob came to Esau and said, My Lord, my Lord. Jacob was in a subservient role to Esau, the individual. So when we read this in Romans 9, our, our temptation is to look at it and think, Man, God, two babies in a womb. God loves one and hates the other. And he just damns one to hell and he saves the other just, just because. That's what, that's what some people believe. And a lot of people that I respect believe that. Um, but it's not, it's not how I read it. In Malachi, the context is not individuals, it's nations. 
And I believe it's the context here in Romans. I don't believe that Paul is referring here to God choosing salvation for individuals. I think that's contrary to, to the nature of God when I read the entire Bible. Though there are many people, like I said, that I respect that hold that, hold that view. So, you know, Paul seems to always know what people are thinking. You almost get the feeling that someone helped him write Romans, right? It's so strange. Anyway, he, he just tells them straight up that their Jewishness has no bearing on their salvation. Just because you're a Jew, it doesn't mean you're saved. And then he poses the question that he knows they're already asking. He says, what then shall we say? This is, so, this is so, such an important question. Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. So you go back and you see how humans tried to meddle in God's plan. They tried to take control from God, which is what we all do. Abraham goes outside of his marriage to conceive a child as if God needed his help, right? Like, no, God, I'll, I'll take care of it from here. So he goes outside of his marriage. To, to conceive a child. Isaac tries his hardest to pass his blessing on to Esau, even though Esau sold his birthright. And yet God doesn't choose the child that Abraham had with Hagar. He chooses Isaac, and God doesn't choose Esau. He chooses Jacob, even though they themselves were flawed individuals. Jacob was very deceitful. Like, you read about Jacob, you're like, that dude was kind of shady. You know? <laughs> like, he did some shady stuff. It was kind of crazy. He lies to his dad, but God still chooses him. And that's because God was doing something. He was doing something throughout the Old Testament. We can't, like, I, uh, the Old Testament, like, I, we, we've, done, we've done a lot of apologetics in here, and I love apologetics. I think they're a confirmation of faith. My, like, the greatest confirmation of my faith is reading the Old Testament and then seeing how these things come, come, to, come to happen in the New Testament. I'm like, God, there's no way all those things happen to chance. God was doing something throughout the Old Testament. He had a purpose. The Jews would have heard Paul here and thought, he's not keeping his promise. They would have thought that he is unjust, or at least that's what Paul is accusing God of being, unjust. But God was keeping his promise. He was keeping his promise in a way that they would have never seen. They didn't see it coming. They thought Jesus was, was when he came in on the donkey, they thought they were, they were wanting a king that was going to take up a sword and basically rule over the Romans. Look at uh, verse 16 in chapter 9. It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For Scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he has, wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. So the Jews of this time would have thought that they were chosen by God to be saved based on physical lineage DNA. Remember, that's the entire point of these chapters. Like You can get bogged down in the mud. You can get bogged down in a lot. But that is the point of these chapters. They thought that they were saved because they were Jews. And that's what Paul is addressing, this idea that the Jews thought they were saved because of who they were. Who they were. And Paul's point is simple. God didn't elect you. He didn't choose you for salvation. That's not what he was doing when he delivered you from Egypt. He elected you for service. He blessed you for a purpose, just like he hardened Pharaoh for a purpose. 
And you look back at the Old Testament, and now you see that the entire thing, the whole thing, is pointing to one thing. It's pointing to one purpose, God's name being proclaimed all over the earth. That, to me, is the greatest confirmation of faith. And again, Paul, he knows, probably because he's got help from the Holy Spirit, most likely, Paul knows exactly where their minds are going. He knows what their next question will be. Listen to what he says. One of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us? If we're just being used in this way, why does God still blame us? For who is able to resist his will? Paul says, but who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes? So again, we're talking about purposes. And some for common use. What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath, prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory, even us, whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles? So this scripture is often used to make the point that God chooses hell for some, before they're ever even born, it's what he chooses for them for the purpose of displaying his wrath to the ones he's chosen to save. So the wrath is just, it's such a part of God that he, he has to find somebody to take it out on. So he creates them for this purpose. I don't believe that that's consistent with the way that our church reads the scripture, and it's not the way that I read it. I believe that what Paul is referring to here is the choosing of people, and specifically a group of people, the Jews, for service and for a purpose, not salvation. And one of the reasons I believe this is because God is patient with his objects of wrath, right? That word patience is so important. I recently saw it in my yard, and let me say, it looks really good. I think I talked about my yard last time I spoke. I'm really proud of it. I recently saw it in my yard, and before you put new sod down, you're supposed to kill all of the existing grass. So I bought a sprayer and some Roundup, and I just covered the entire lawn. And then I waited patiently, right? Not hoping that the grass would sprout up and be healthy and beautiful and live for all eternity, right? I patiently waited for that grass to die. Right, Dudley? You know what I'm talking about. So y'all, I know in Cordova, y'all like Bermuda. But in East Memphis, we like zoysia, right, Dudley? We're really snooty about our, our grass. Um, but I'm trying to kill all of this Bermuda because I... I hate Bermuda, and I want the Bermuda to, 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 to basically meet my wrath. And I'm patiently waiting for the Bermuda to die. So is that the kind of patience that God is exhibiting with his objects of wrath? Is that what he's waiting for? Oh, I'm just waiting for you to die. Is that what that's talking about? Patiently waiting for them to die. I don't believe so. I think he's patiently longing for life, not death, because I don't believe God patiently waits for death. I think he desires that all people be saved, and I think that Scripture backs that up. But when people reject him, after he's been patient with them, it's not like he just was like, I'll reject you. He's been patient. When people reject him after he's been patient with them, he uses them for his preordained purpose. And we have no right to question that. We've rejected him. And it's, his purpose is not some sinister plot to control people. His plan is not unjust. God's plan 
leads to life. Like if you'll just follow his plan, if you'll believe it, and it's hard to believe sometimes. You look around, the world's crazy, things are falling apart, people hurt people, there's abuse, neglect, there's all, there are all kinds of issues. I mean, like our political, current political climate, there's like not a lot of like good stuff to focus on and say, man, things are really gonna be all right. But if you can have faith, and if you can look back to the God's promises and see how he's kept his promises now, then maybe the promises that he has for the future, you know, perhaps he'll keep those too, right? His plan is not unjust. His purpose leads to life, abundant life for everybody. Jews, Gentiles, rich, poor, addict, sober, gay, straight. God wants all people to know him. Every person on the face of the planet, no matter where you are, he wants you to know him. And specifically, he wants all people to know Jesus and his blood that cleanses you from your sin, whatever your sin is. And I think Paul brings up how God uses Pharaoh. This is interesting. Again, Paul's he's so smart. He, he brings up how God uses Pharaoh as an object of wrath for a reason. It sounds kind of random a little bit, right? Because he's talking a whole lot about Israel. And then, he, and then he brings up how he chooses Pharaoh as an object of, of wrath. God has been patient with Israel. Like you go back and read the Old Testament and it's like, I mean, it's like this vicious cycle of patience, abuse, patience, abuse, patience, abuse. Then chapter 10, this is from Isaiah 65, Paul quotes uh, God as saying, all day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. When you think about God holding out his hands to people who are disobedient and obstinate, I don't get this picture of a God who creates people just so he can just, just pour out his wrath on them. In, independent of anything that they do or don't do, and then he has these other people that he chooses just to save, and, and these other people, but he's holding his hands out. It, do, it doesn't jive. Look at, look at verse uh, nine, or chapter 9, verse 25. About the Gentiles, he says this, I will call them my people who are not my people, and I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. And in the very place where it is said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called children of the living God. That's us. And then Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the Israelites be like the sand of the sea, only the remnant will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence on earth with speed and finality. It is just as I said, as Isaiah said previously also, Unless the Lord Almighty had left us descendants, we would have become like Sodom and we would have been like Gomorrah. So except for a few descendants, just the remnant, it's total destruction, just like Sodom and Gomorrah. And Paul's pointing back to this. is like this, is, this, was, this was told, we, you, the, the prophets predicted this. What I'm telling you is, is what the prophets predict, predicted. He says, see... I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So all of Romans, in fact, the entire Bible, the whole thing from Genesis, even from the time that that God tells Eve that 
her offspring will, will crush the snake's head and he will bruise his heel. From the very, very beginning, the entire Bible is pointing to this. If we put our hope in anything except for the blood of Jesus, we are doomed. If you think that anything else is going to justify you or if God's going to think you're a good enough person or you're going to work hard enough or you're going to do enough, if you put your hope or you're going to be entertained enough or you're going to make enough money or you're, you're going to eliminate the Bermuda from your yard enough, right? No matter what you think, if you put your hope in anything except for the blood of Jesus, you're doomed. Like Eric said last week, it is finished. It's done. You have no reason to be arrogant, but you have every reason to be confident. So we've trudged through this knee-deep mud, and I think this is the moment where you step out of the, the woods, off the trail, and you see the beauty and you know the peace, that you just feel it. God made a promise to Abraham that he would be a great nation and that his people would be God's people and that the whole world would be blessed through him. And God continued that promise with Jacob, with Israel. And Paul's whole point in these three chapters is this. God keeps his promises. He has proven that by sending Jesus to die on the cross. I do not want you to be arrogant of this mystery, brothers and sisters so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part, just like Pharaoh, until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. He is the fulfillment to God's promise, of God's promise to Israel. And not just that Jesus came, he was a good teacher, man, he was a good man. Like we can just love like Jesus loved and we can be kind and, and, and be like Jesus. Um, he's a great example for us. Let's, let's try to be like Jesus. That's not the full extent of the promise. The full extent of the promise is that he has taken away our sins. And the reason that it's a whole blessing, a blessing to the whole world is that everybody sins. Did y'all see Chris Pratt's um, message? Did anybody see that? I thought it was so good. Like I, I was like one of the most, one of the boldest things I've seen in public. He's talking about the blood of Jesus on, on like the MTV Music Awards. Like it was like crazy, you know? But the reason that this is a blessing to the whole world, and God said it would be in Abraham, to Abraham. The reason it's a blessing to the whole world is because everybody sins and everybody needs their sins to be taken away. We are all in the same boat. Everybody needs grace. Everybody. Nobody is an exception. And that's what Jesus provides. And Paul says that when we put our faith in Jesus, we are grafted into the family of Israel. I didn't have a lot of time to go over chapter 11, but I would encourage you to go read chapter 11 in the context of what we talked about today. When we put our faith in Jesus, we are grafted into that family of Israel. God, uh, Paul says, not all who are Israel are Israel. We, though we're not physical descendants of Jacob, of Israel, have been grafted in, when we put our faith in Jesus, we've been grafted into God's chosen people. We become children of the promise, not because of our DNA, not because we've worked really hard, but because of one thing, faith in the saving power of Christ's blood. And that's it. It's that simple. And that's what we receive. So um, 
let me pray. I would encourage you to go read uh, chapter 11. Uh, you can read 10 too. Uh, 10 is kind of more of the same, but 11 I think has a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, stuff about being grafted in to the, to the, um, the nation of Israel, the, the spiritual nation of Israel, which is really good. So um, let's pray and then uh, David can come up. Father God, we love you. We thank you for the mercy that you've chosen to give us. Um, we know that we don't deserve it. We haven't earned it. We haven't worked for it. But it is freely given to us. Um, and God, we put our full faith and hope in that. Um, we know that we're, uh, we've got all kinds of issues, problems, sin, um, selfishness. And God, I'm just so thankful that you not only forgive us, but that you change us and that you make us more like you. And God, I pray that you just continue to do that. Um, I know that we will never be perfect, but I pray that we will be uh, continually and increasingly made to be um, like you, God. Uh, help us to love more, forgive more. Help us to be kinder, more understanding, um, slower to anger, quicker to listen. Um, and uh, God, just forgive us when we don't do those things. And, um, and God, I just pray that you... Um, just uh, continue to, to love us the way that you do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. Thanks, Grant. Um, I always enjoy um, when you talk. You can always tell. He brings out some passion. So um, I also own some Spicio or whatever you say about the wear. Do you wear it for three days straight? I do that. Thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Like we said at the beginning of the podcast, we're run, walking through Romans, and this has been our fourth lesson on Romans. I think Grant did just a fantastic job of dealing with some of the most difficult chapters in the whole Bible. Like we say each week, I would encourage you to read the Bible for yourself, and especially Romans as we're studying it. I think there's just great truth and wisdom that can change not just your life but your eternity in those pages of scripture so i hope that you'll read romans and i also hope that you'll join us next week as we wrap up romans with a lesson on romans 12 through 16 again this is david flat and this has been the highland bridge builders podcast thanks for joining us and hope to hope to see you next time